Psalm 96 is a song of worship to God. According to 1 Chronicles 16.7, the psalm is written by David when he brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. 1 Chronicles 16.23-33 parallels Psalm 96.1-13. This song of worship to God calls upon everyone and even nature to praise God because he is greater than the gods of the pagans and he will reign in truth and righteousness. We're going to divide this psalm into four parts. We're going to begin with salvation in verses 1 to 3, then sovereignty in verses 4 to 6, supremacy in verses 7 to 9, and then spirituality in verses 10 to 13. So let's begin with verses 1 to 3 and salvation. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. Here in verse 1, the nations are called upon to join in singing to Yahweh, who is the God of all the earth. Now, what are they to sing? Notice it's a new song in response to what? His saving work, as we see in verse 2. Notice, proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. The verb translated as proclaim the good news, Bashar, means to bear good tidings, to herald or to preach. Indeed, the good news is the gospel, and it must be declared. In verse 3, the proclamation of God's saving work includes his glory and his wonders. The term glory, literally weightiness or heaviness, uh, refers to the heaviness of a warrior returning from battle who is weighed down by the spoils of his victory. His wonders are the supernatural works by which he has redeemed people. And so God's weightiness, or the spoils that he bears from victory, uh, and his wonders, his redemptive works, show us the reality of salvation. He has gone into battle. He has intervened on behalf of humanity. He has defeated the enemy, and he has won our salvation. And so therefore, we sing a song of worship to God. Verse 4 to 6, Sovereignty. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Now, we noted in verses 1 to 3 what we are to do, sing a new song. The psalmist now tells us in verses 4 to 6 why we sing the new song. The new song is based upon our great Lord, our mighty God, who is to be greatly praised. In other words, our worship ought to be appropriate to the object of worship. Now, consider worship. Is worship nothing more than rote? Do we just ho-hum our way through songs? Do we just mumble our way through prayer? If that is the case, that tells us much about the God we worship. It tells us we have very little care or concern about this God we worship. Indeed, if he's great and he's greatly to be praised, then our worship, our prayers ought to be more than mumbling. Our singing ought to be more than mutterings. He is a great God. More, more so, he is to be feared above all the gods. In other words, there's to be a sense of all before his almighty power. And the reason he is to be feared above all gods, because these other gods are nothing more than idols created by people, 
Our God, though, is the creator of people, but also the creator of the heavens. Now, in verse 6, the psalmist personifies four objects regarding God. Honor or splendor, majesty, strength or might, and beauty or glory. These four objects are personified here as being attendants of God. They're in God's sanctuary. They're there in heaven itself where he reigns. And these four personified characteristics show us who God is, why he is great, because he has honor, he has majesty, he has strength, he has glory. All of these things point to God's sovereignty, his supernatural control over all things. And because he is sovereign, we sing a new song to him. Verse 7 to 9, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name, bring an offering and come into his courts, worship the Lord in his holy attire, tremble before him all the earth. Verses 7 and 9, supremacy. Here in verses 7 and 9, we have a new call to worship that parallels verses 1 to 3. Here we're being exhorted to give glory, to give strength to the Lord. And who? All the families of the earth. All the families of the people. Literally, every person on earth is to be joining us in worship to God. And, and what do we offer to God in worship? We give to the Lord the glory due his name, the weight of his character. The praise of our hearts should be to praise him for who he is, to praise him for what he has done. And yet so often when we have opportunity to praise God, we are silent. Again, what does that say about our relationship with our God. Obviously, the fa our silence implies we know nothing of God nor his greatness. Since God's name is above every other name, since he is our redeemer, since he is our creator, his name alone, his character alone, is to be glorified. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord, that's my name, and my glory I will not give another. And so when we come to the Lord, we're to bring an offering as we come into his courts. What offering do we bring? We're to bring an offering of praise of our lips, according to Hebrews chapter 13. Now, in verse 9, those who worship the Lord are to worship in holy attire. Well, we're reminded of what Leviticus and 1 Peter tells us. Be holy as he is holy. We're to be clothed in holiness as we come to worship him. We have to remove the stain of sin, and therefore, before we come and worship, we must confess our sins before him and ask for forgiveness. And so, we see a God here who has supremacy. He is the great one, and therefore, we sing a new song and sing a song of praise to God because of his supremacy. And then finally, as we consider our song of worship to God, let us consider verses 10 to 13, spirituality. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. Again, the theme in verse 10 appears to be that of witness. 
our worship should turn to witness. Notice that the peoples proclaim among the nations that the Lord Yahweh reigns. He is the one who sits upon the throne. He is the sovereign one. And again, it is a challenge to all other gods or idols. It is a challenge to all other rulers. It's a challenge to any other type of authority. Indeed, while there are many posers in this world, there is only one king, and he here draws the line. And we have a choice to make. Will we submit to him, or will we be destroyed? Because Yahweh reigns, the world is also firmly established. In pagan myths, they depict the god of chaos warring against the god of order. And so often, the psalmists make reference to these myths in their depiction of God. And the point here is, when it says the world is also firmly established, is that the God of chaos will not overcome the creation of the God of order. It will not be moved. King Yahweh rules, but notice, he also judges. He has established an order, not only in his creation, but in his kingdom. And therefore, he judges the world with righteousness or with equity. Now, how do we react to the good news that Yahweh reigns? The only adequate response should be joy, because the reigning king is our savior, our redeemer. And we react with joy because we know his judgment will be true and righteous, according to verse 13. And so in verse 11, the psalmist calls upon the heavens to rejoice to take pleasure in, to exalt in who God is. The earth also is called upon to be glad. The sea is to rejoice and all of its fullness. That would be the fish and the creatures and so forth of the sea. Everything in the created realm, from human beings created in the image and likeness of God, down to the very minuscule aspects of creation, are to praise God, to sing worship to God. Recall what Christ said, If man will not worship him, then the rocks would cry forth and give him praise and worship. In verse 12, the psalmist calls upon the field and the animals to be what? To be joyful. Trees rejoice before the Lord. And why? Again, notice verse 13. Because God redeems and God reigns. And this redeeming, reigning God is coming to judge the earth in righteousness and faithfulness. That's going to be his standard. In that day, those who know him, those who worship him through the earth will be vindicated. However, those who don't will be destroyed. God has made us a spiritual people when he redeemed us. In our redemption, we are now restored to that place of holiness and righteousness in which man was originally created. Spirituality has been restored. And because we have that spirituality within us, we have a responsibility to sing a song of worship to God. So let us sing a song of worship to God because of salvation. Let us sing a song of worship to God because of his sovereignty. Let us sing a song of worship to God because of his supremacy. And let us sing a song of worship because of the spirituality that he has blessed us with. Father God, Lord, as we come before you, we honor and praise you as the great one, the supreme one, the sovereign one, the redeemer, the creator. And we come to you, Lord, through the matchless blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank and praise you that your son came and died on our behalf. He paid the penalty to our sin. 
And I thank you, Lord, that he is today a risen Savior. He is not a dead Savior. He is alive and at your right hand, making intercession for us. Father God, we ask and pray that you would forgive us for not acknowledging you, for not praising you as we ought. Father, how we sing and how we pray, how we praise, speaks volumes to how we know you, to how we understand you, to how we understand your greatness, your mighty, your wonder. And Father, to be honest, we must cry out and ask forgiveness because, Lord, our praise, our singing, our worship is lacking. It is lacking, Father, because we do not know you the way we should. So, Father, give us eyes and ears to see and hear you as you have revealed yourself in your word so that, Father, in turn, we can give you praise so that we can sing so that we can pray, so that we can pray in an appropriate fashion. So that, Lord, our singing, our praying, our praise would align with your greatness. Now, Father, I ask and pray that you would guide us each step of the way. Father, each day, the new tasks that come, the new challenges that come, the new trials, the new testings, that, Father, in it all, we would keep our eyes ever on you, always praising you, always to seek to see what you have done. And so, Father, would you get all the praise, may you get all the glory, both now and forever. Amen.